Psalm 103, a Psalm of David. Verse 15 through 19. As for man, his days are as grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourisheth. For the wind passeth over it, and it is gone, and the place thereof shall know it no more. But the loving kindness of Jehovah is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him, and his righteousness unto children's children, to such as keep his covenant, and to those that remember his precepts to do, <coughs> to do them. Jehovah hath established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom ruleth over all. Jehovah hath established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom ruleth over all. This lovely psalm of David that we've been looking at for uh, a number of months is coming to a conclusion with these words. The words that we find in the remaining three verses after this verse are additional calls to bless God, calls to his angels, calls to all his hosts, calls to all his works to bless Jehovah. We began with bless Jehovah, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. And then we saw very, very many of the things that we have after David cried out, bless Jehovah, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. He began enumerating all these benefits, and there's no petition to be found in this particular psalm. David doesn't ask for anything. It's all praising God, blessing his name, blessing Jehovah from his soul, from his heart. Then he goes on to enumerate all the causes, all the reasons, all the ground that he has to praise God, to bless him, to thank him for his wonderful mercies, for his loving kindness, and on and on. He enumerates all these things. He has been lovingly busy extolling God's forgiveness extolling his healing of all kinds, physical and spiritual both. He's taken care to remember to thank God for that blessed redemption through the blood of his son, the blood of the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. He praises God for redemption. And as I've already touched on, he blesses his name for the wonder of the loving kindness, the wonder of the tender mercies that his people have received. And frankly, even beyond his people, many that aren't even believers receive many blessings, though they don't thank God and though they don't love him for it. Nonetheless, they receive long-suffering, tender mercies and so on as well. Blessings right and left, we could say in this psalm. Blessings all over the place. Every day, every night, we can imagine David looking at the stars at night, looking at the sun during the day and the beauty of the clouds and going on and on, blessing 
every day and every night for all these mercies because of his loving kindness, because of his pitying us like as a father pitieth his children, because of who he is, love itself, tender love, loving kindness. And he brings forward all that God has done for his people. Because of that loving kindness, God's love behind these things, his mercy and his grace, the love that's behind that mercy and grace. We can praise God for the mercy that we have received. For the grace that we receive daily. For his compassion and his mercy to us in many things and everything, really. But we need to bring ourselves to the place where we remember that love behind the mercy and grace. That love, if I can double words, that love behind his loving kindness for us. Where did that love come from? Why has he ever loved us? But David brings us to consider these things, to think about them, and then to continue praising God from whence they come to his people. His patience with us, his long-suffering. Every one of us that has raised children have undoubtedly found ourselves running out of patience. And many times God has called us for it. And he's <laughs> reminded us of the patience that he has had for us in dealing with us, bringing us to him through many trials and tribulations, perhaps, through many merciful dealings and, and our stumbling blindly along the way, not hearing his voice, not seeing him in the creation. But how wonderful his patience has been, his long-suffering, which is another term for patience, but it suggests the extended time the exponential patience in this long suffering. None of us, I certainly know I can speak for myself, but I suspect that I speak for most of us or all of us that none of us have shown that kind of patience and long suffering for another our entire lives. We may show it one day, we may show it for a week, but God's patience and long-suffering is remarkable in itself and in, in the justification that he has found to be able to give to his chosen sinners and the cost of it through the blood of his own son. I'm not saying that David is speaking here verbally of Jesus Christ but I believe that Christ is in this psalm nonetheless. I believe that salvation is in this psalm. And so that's why I don't have any difficulty referring to these things that David is thanking and praising God for being his God, for keeping him, for loving him. His loving kindness is not like ours, as I mentioned, but it's from everlasting 
to everlasting. And David has used these beautiful metaphors to pronounce that everlasting to everlasting. As the heavens are high above the earth. As the heaven, how high are the heavens above the earth? As far as the east is from the west, how far is that? Everlasting to everlasting. We could, we could sit down with this psalm and meditate on each single verse for an entire day and not exhaust the love behind all these things that David delights to enumerate, that David delights to praise God for. And we gather together one day a week to do that as a body of believers. And surely I know that, that we do it every day. But just imagine that we could do it every moment of every day. We could be doing this and never exhaust the basis, the grounds, the merit that belong unto our God for these things, for his patience and long suffering and so on. And these things all everlasting to everlasting. Again, <clears throat> we reflect on the fact from scripture and faith teaches us that our love for him is going to be from everlasting to everlasting, but it's not from us. It's not because of us. We read that we love him because he first loved us. We love Christ because he first loved us. So it's a reciprocal thing. But how much ought we to rejoice in the fact that God has given us hearts that are capable and that will love him from everlasting to everlasting because he's worthy of that kind of love, of the extent of love such as that. His loving kindness is from everlasting to everlasting. It's not a momentary thing, not a flashing passion, but love from everlasting to everlasting. And his promises extend through generations until the last elect sinner is reclaimed. Through generation upon generation. We, we looked last week at the children's children, and I determined that that's speaking of the generational effect of the descendants of his people. It has nothing whatever to do with infant baptism, but it's talking about the blessings, talking about <clears throat> his loving kindness being extended generationally. And I don't mean through the blood. John teaches us better than that. It's not by the blood or the will of the flesh but of God that we are saved. But it's, it's speaking about those on down the line. Children's children are descendants, whether they be absolutely tied to us in any way or not. Descendants of the human race, that his loving kindness is so long suffering and so kind and it's so extensive and so deep and profound it's going to embrace every elect sinner, every single soul, every person that he has placed in Christ from before the foundation of the world. 
until the last elect sinner is reclaimed. His promises extend until that time and they will never fail because of his loving kindness, because of his holiness, because of the greatness of his promises that are supported by his holiness, a God that cannot lie, a God that cannot fail, a God that never says one thing and does another. He is our God. And David now, as I've already suggested in this 19th verse, Jehovah hath established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom ruleth over all. I believe we see David here beginning to greatly inform us more of the matter of who God is, what God is. Who are we praising? Who is it that we are praising? Who is this Jehovah that we praise? What is he like? What is his extent? David says, he hath established his throne in the heavens. His kingdom ruleth over all. There is nothing that he cannot accomplish that he has determined to do. He will accomplish everything he has promised. He will accomplish everything he has determined to do without fail. And he has even given us, his people, the gift of faith to know that he will never fail and to know that he will never turn from his promises. He is true to his word. Let all men be liars. God is true to his word. The scriptures repeatedly remind us he will not lie and he has promised. And he is the king. This is the king establishing his throne in the heavens. He hath established his throne in the heavens. He's the king and he's giving us his promises. And we know that they are true because we are receiving them from the king. The king whose kingdom ruleth over all. Absolutely omnipotent. Absolutely omniscient. All, he loves his people. He embraces his people. He cares for his people. We shouldn't worry about anything. Our brother just read to us, all things work together for good to those that love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. What's to worry about? Why does David have to pen another psalm saying, fret not thyself because of evildoers? Why? Because he knows we're going to do it. Even though he's given us faith as a gift and even though he knows we don't have cause to fret. Nonetheless, the Holy Spirit caused David to tell his people, tell us, fret not because of evildoers. Your God, your heavenly Father is a king. And he has established his kingdom. I remember an account that I read years ago and obviously has uh, stayed with me. I think it makes the point well. The account of the little girl asleep on her father's ship crossing the Atlantic in the 19th or 18th century, crossing the Atlantic, and, and a horrific storm came upon them. 
She was in her cabin below deck, soundly asleep. The ship is tossing and turning and the, and the sails are ripping and tearing and making a racket. She's sound asleep. A servant girl woke her up and told her to wake up and get dressed. The ship was in danger and the little girl looked up and said, is my father still at the wheel? The servant said, yes. The little girl turned around, turned her head, laid back down and fell asleep. And that's the way we ought to understand our God. Is he still at the wheel? He's always at the wheel. He doesn't turn it over to anyone else. All things work together for good. Again, this is what David, I believe, the servant of God, is telling the children of God, telling us, God is in heaven, all is well. God is in heaven, all is well. He has established his throne in the heavens, his kingdom ruleth over all. All is well. He is Jehovah God who has established his throne in the heavens. He is Jehovah God whose kingdom rules over all. What a glorious revelation given to us. Why should we worry about anything? I know, we do, I do. I'm just asking the question, why should we? Why do we? Because we're human. Because we're sinners. But David here is giving us this revelation that we ought not. That our God is in control. His kingdom rules over everything. What a glorious revelation to receive. What a prized confession from this prophet David. God is king of all. Our Father in heaven is king of all. Is this not something, is this not somewhat a confession of David's faith? Jehovah hath established his throne, his kingdom rules over all. David's confession of faith. I know we struggle with confessions of faith here, but I don't think anybody would balk at that. But what he's asking you to subscribe to it. Just happily receive it through faith. What a glorious revelation that David the prophet has given us. The one that loves us. The one that loves us and cares for us. Incredibly so. Is the king of all. I mean if you found out if, if, a, if a, an unbeliever found out that that the person that owned everything in, the, in this state, that absolutely owned everything in this state, and nobody was able to turn a hair of their head one way or the other without his say-so, if they found out that that person that owns all this and that ruled over all this was their father, what a revelation. That's what David's saying. The father, our father, blessed Jehovah, oh my soul, he has established his throne in the heavens. His kingdom rules 
over all. What a glorious revelation. Is this not <clears throat> an extremely impressive guarantee? Underwriting of all these blessings that David has enumerated, God's being king of all, Lord of all, his kingdom ruling over all. He has underwritten all these things. They are underwritten by his holiness, by his omnipotence, his omniscience. All underwritten. What he has promised will surely come to pass. And he is the one who has taken our burdens upon himself in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. He has taken upon himself our burdens, underwriting them, to put it that way. I will pay for them. And he then paid them all. He paid them all when we were found to be totally bankrupt, totally without any funds. Our sins brought us to total bankruptcy. But Jesus Christ took our debt upon himself. He took our debt upon himself. What a glorious revelation is the gospel of Jesus Christ. He took our sins upon himself. He paid for them in his own body, pouring out his own blood in order to settle our account that we might have all these blessings that David has written in Psalm 103. What a wonder is the grace of God. What a glorious revelation. Our Father is still at the wheel and shall be so forever and ever and ever. But just who is our Father? Who is our great benefactor? Who is, who is this one who has underwritten all these? Who is our co-sire, to put it that way? Who is it? Who's the one underwriting our debt? Well, it's none other. According to David, it's none other than the one who has established his throne in the heavens. It's none other than the one whose kingdom rules over all. That's the joy of this passage. That's the joy of this psalm, that the one who has taken all these things upon himself is the one who is the king. He's the one whose kingdom rules over all. He's established his throne in the heavens. He who wishes to take your indebtedness upon himself has all power, has all authority to do so. And he has all the love for us and compassion toward us and the loving kindness. His loving kindness is never ending. Everlasting to everlasting, never ending. You can go to the movie and see all the never ending stories you wanna see. This is the real never ending story. God's everlasting love. Our Father is the King. Listen to one other confession. It's recorded for us by Daniel the prophet. Not David the prophet, Daniel the prophet. You remember the uh, account in, in Daniel chapter four. Perhaps you remember um, 
that amazing vision or dream that Nebuchadnezzar had and how that he sought to have it interpreted and he brought Daniel in to interpret his dream Daniel we read in verse 19 whose name was Belteshazzar was stricken dumb for a while and his thoughts troubled him this was when he was about to give Nebuchadnezzar the interpretation of his dream. <clears throat> the king answered and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation trouble thee. Belteshazzar answered and said, My lord, the dream be to them that hate thee and the interpretation thereof to thine adversaries. The tree that thou sawest, which grew and was strong, whose height reached unto heaven and then the sight thereof to all the earth, whose leaves were fair and the fruit thereof much, and in it was food for all, under which the beasts of the field dwelt, and upon whose branches the birds of the heavens had their habitation. It is thou, O king, that art grown and become strong. But then, then he tells them the rest of the interpretation, the rest of the dream. How that... This is the interpretation in verse 24, O king, and it is the decree of the Most High which is come upon my Lord the king, that thou shalt be driven from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and thou shalt be made to eat grass as oxen, and shall be wet with the dew of heaven, and seven times shall pass over thee, till thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever they will, he will. These things did come upon this king. It struck me as I was studying this, how that the experience of Nebuchadnezzar is really the experience of every believer coming to Christ, discovering by God's grace and perhaps a vision or perhaps the scriptures or perhaps a sermon that they are in this condition, that this is gonna come upon them he told him, he told him, that is Daniel, told Nebuchadnezzar, break off thy sins in the 27th verse by righteousness and thine iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. If there may be a lengthening of thy tranquility. But we're told in the next verse that he obviously didn't take Daniel's warning or advice. All this came upon the king Nebuchadnezzar at the end of 12 months, he was walking in the royal palace of Babylon. The king spake and said, Is this not great Babylon, which I have built for the royal dwelling place by the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty? Isn't there a sense in which each of us have said that in the days before our hearts were regenerated in the days when we boasted upon ourselves, whether it was big like Nebuchadnezzar or smaller. 
Isn't that a picture of each sinner before God gives them a new heart? While the word was in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven saying, O king Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken. The kingdom is departed from thee, and thou shalt be driven from men. And so on, all those things, the, the interpretation that Daniel had given him, come upon him. At the same hour, the thing was fulfilled. He was driven from men. He ate grass. His oxen and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till his hair was grown like eagle's feathers, and his nails like bird's claws. It makes me wonder if he didn't become somewhat like the maniac of Gadara in the New Testament. Out in the woods, out in the fields, eating grass, clawing around. But then we get the confession, the testimony, if you will, from Nebuchadnezzar in verse 34, at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes <coughs> unto heaven, and mine understanding returned unto me, and I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored him that liveth forever, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom from generation to generation. Does that sound familiar? Children's children from generation to generation, an everlasting dominion, and all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing, and he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand. None can say to him, what are you doing? Or what doest thou? None can do that because he's the king. He's the monarch. He's the absolute authority, the absolute power. Now I, he says in verse 37, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven for all his works are truth and his ways justice and those that walk in pride he is able to abase. Nebuchadnezzar walked in pride and he was abased and we have all experienced that to some degree or another. I submit pride is the chief of sins but he praises now and extols and honors the Most High, who he calls King of Heaven. It's the only place I could find in the Scriptures where that term King of Heaven is to be found. And when you go to these websites that have all the different translations, and I suspect that the one I look at has, has 36 at least different translations, and, and when you go checking out what, are the, what do the other translators have to say, there's always variances, almost, <laughs> you can almost count on it. There are variances, some large, some small, but they're all variances. They want to add their own words. This expression, king of heaven, was not changed by one translator in 36 or more translations, except one said king of the heavens. The only difference. King of heaven. That's our Father in heaven. He is king. He is king of heaven. And Nebuchadnezzar confessed that. And we confess it. Do we confess it like David does in this Psalm 103? I bless the Most High, Nebuchadnezzar said. The Most High is the one, according to Nebuchadnezzar, that lives forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion. 
his kingdom from generation to generation. Is this not comparable to David's confession in our 19th verse of this psalm? Is it not comparable? Maybe briefer, maybe more succinct. Jehovah hath established his throne in the heaven and his kingdom ruleth over all. Is it not parallel, comparable to Nebuchadnezzar's confession? Who is the most high? If not him who has established his kingdom, his throne in the heavens, and that his kingdom rules over all. Everything. His kingdom rules over all. Without exception, everything. Christ himself told us that not a sparrow falls to the ground without God's knowledge, without the knowledge of his Father. He numbers the hairs on our head. Even the ones that are falling out. He knows the number of the hairs on our heads today, even though it was different from yesterday. His kingdom rules over all. And who is the most high? Is that not this God of whom David speaks, of whom Nebuchadnezzar was speaking, of whom Daniel interpreted this dream for Nebuchadnezzar? The most high, is it not him who has established his throne in the heavens, ruling over all? Most high. There's, it's simple. There's nothing higher than God. No one and nothing higher than God. He is the most high. It's like we saw in this psalm. As far as the east is from the west, as, as far as the heavens are high above the earth, how high is that? God is the most high God. What a lovely name. What a beautiful name for our Father in heaven. The most high. No less than six times in the fourth chapter of Daniel's prophecy. And in the seventh chapter we read, four times about the saints of the Most High. Have you ever thought about that? We are saints of the Most High. The Most High, nothing higher. Our Father in Heaven is the Most High. And we're His saints, His select chosen people. His one set apart for Him. Charles Spurgeon has remarked that on this verse that God is an autocrat. Sounds awful, doesn't it? God is an autocrat. But all he is saying when he says that, an autocrat is an absolute sovereign. God is an absolute sovereign. And we can trust him because he loves us. Ruling without restriction. In other words, what we just read, who can say to him, what are you doing? He's an autocrat. He wields independent power. He needs no other to help him. I don't know what, I don't know how these people can even live one day to another that, whose God may give up on them tomorrow. That, that don't have assurance of eternal life, that don't believe that the God that saved them is gonna keep them forever and ever. I don't know what they do. They don't, they don't wanna believe in, in what they call eternal security, so many of them. They don't wanna believe in, in, in God's promise 
that he saved them and he's going to keep them from everlasting to everlasting. I don't know what they do. He's our king. He's our Lord. We don't make him king. You understand? We don't make him king. People talk like that. Oh, make Jesus your king. Let Jesus come into your heart. We don't let Jesus be our king. We don't let Jesus come into our heart. He has set his kingdom in our hearts, has he not? And he is a king of all. I will be, we could paraphrase, I will be your king and ye shall be my people. Jehovah hath established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom ruleth over all. No exceptions. David the prophet is likely speaking of both God the Father and God the Son when he's talking about Jehovah establishing his throne in the heavens and his kingdom ruling over all. Was it not Jesus Christ who told his father, followers in John 14, let not your heart be troubled. I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there ye shall be. And he set his throne in the heavens He's at God's right hand. He's interceding, ever living to intercede for us. And his kingdom rules over all. That's our Savior. That's our Lord. That's our King. That's our Father in heaven. And our great high priest. And our elder brother. Fret not. Fret not over anything. Fret not because of evildoers. Pray for them. And walk with God and trust Him. And cry unto Him to increase your faith exponentially if possible. And it's all things are possible with Him. And to grow you grace upon grace that you may serve Him. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank thee that by thy grace and because of the merit of thy Son and none of our own, because of his blood, the blood of the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world, and only because of his blood can we be thy children. O oh, Lord our God, we thank thee and praise thee for all these things contained in this psalm, all the blessings that have been showered upon us because Christ Jesus said, Lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me to do thy will. We thank thee and praise thee in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd stand, stand for the benediction, I'm taking it from Psalm 72 and verse 17. His name shall endure forever. His name shall be continued as long as the sun, and men shall be blessed in him. All nations shall call him happy. Amen.